0: lot to cover this morning. So uh, this is rich two verses that we're looking at. So let's pray together as we come to God's Word. Our Father, we thank you that uh, we face many trials, many difficulties, many uh, complicated things that are happening in our lives, and you know them all. Um, You're not ignorant of them. And you're not uh, helpless, you don't, you, you're not confused of what to do, but you know all of them. And in fact, many of these difficulties you've placed us in, you've ordained them for us. And we don't, we don't understand that mystery, but we pray that you would teach us, uh, as we come to your word, how deep your love is for us, how steadfast your love is for us, that you would speak to us through your word, that you have uh, com- committed yourself to us, that you are with us. So open our hearts, be our teacher, and give us your spirit now, we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. So our text today comes from uh, the letter of 1 Peter, and we're just looking at the first two uh, opening verses, the greeting, so let's read together. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, and Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is the word of the Lord, and it's for our good. Thanks be to God. So a couple of years ago, Shannon and I saw a film uh, with uh, John Cusack, and it's called the Martian Child, uh, which is uh, it's about this kid who... Grows up, kind of getting passed around from foster home to foster home, and he misbehaves or does something, and each foster family says, "We can't handle him; take him back." And so, uh, it's about this kid. He decides, he concludes from the fact that he doesn't fit in anyone's family, that he must be from Mars. Uh, My family must be a Martian family because I'm clearly not human; I can't fit into any family. So uh, he'll he'll be at the foster care place and be staying there, and all the kids will be outside playing. And he, he'll be in a cardboard box with a little opening, and he's wearing sunglasses because the sun is too bright for him on Earth because he's from Mars. And so, uh, as the story goes, there's John Cusack. He is a, uh, a widower who's who lost his wife several years ago. He's been grieving his, the loss of his wife for several years. And he decides that uh, maybe part of uh, the healing process would be for him to adopt some, a child. And maybe he could begin building some relationship, building a relationship, restoring his heart. And it turns out that he's a science fiction writer. So he goes to the, the foster care place and says, "I'm looking for a child." She says, "Oh, will you write science fiction?" This kid thinks he's from Mars. This is a this is a match made in heaven. So uh, the story the story goes that the kid comes to his house. and It's kind of about their relationship and how they're growing together. And um, towards the end of the story, the kid does some Martian weird thing. And John Cusack blows up at him. And the kid says, here it is again. I knew it was going to happen. I thought you were going to be different, and you're not. So he, he runs out of the house. And uh, he actually goes up to a water tower. And he climbs up to the water tower. And he says, my, my, my Martian family is going to be coming to get me soon. So I'm going to go up in the water tower and wait for them. And so John Cusack, he's up in the water tower. He calls the police. And he says, my kids run away. from the water tower. So they send these helicopters. It's at nighttime. time. the helicopters are coming. And the kid sees the helicopter. He says, "Yeah, there, there they are. They're coming." So he's walking towards the edge of the water tower, and to reach out to the UFO or whatever's coming to pick him up. And John Cusack climbs up there, and he's pleading with me, "You know, come, come away from the edge. Listen, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. I, I, I yelled at you, and I didn't mean to. I, I just got riled up. I don't know what I'm doing." And the kid says, "No, I don't belong here. I don't fit here." I'm a Martian. I need to go back to Mars. I want to go and be with my family. So finally, John Cusack says, and this is kind of the turning point in the whole movie. It's actually the turning point in this kid's whole life. John Cusack says, Dennis, that's his name, Dennis, I will never, 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 I will never leave you. And that's the moment when he runs back from the edge of the, the water town, runs into his arms. It's a turning point of their life, the beginning of their family. Now, what was he saying? Uh, what uh, What is he saying with, uh, I will never leave you? Um, how do you be an alien? How do you feel like an alien in this world? I, I don't feel like it's my home. I don't fit here. Uh, the answer is not, you know, be normal. Why can't you just be normal? The answer that the kid needs is someone to say to him, "I will never leave you." What you need is me. And it turns out that this letter of First Peter begins by saying this: "Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles." Now that word "exile," you could translate as, you know, a stranger, a sojourner, or an alien, a resident alien. And it turns out that this, this group of people it lists kind of the places where they're from. Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, uh, Asia, Bithynia. This is basically modern-day Turkey. It's kind of a circular region, modern-day Turkey. And We don't know what happened to them, but probably they were Christians living in Rome. They were pastored by Peter. And Claudius, the Roman Empire, kicked all the Jews in Rome, uh, Jews and Christians out of Rome and sent them off to these foreign colonies, places they weren't from, places that weren't their home. And so they got sent away and they're basically aliens. They're living in a place... That they don't understand the place that doesn't understand them that they're not at home in. But also beyond that, they're also Christians. Um, you know, if you when you become a Christian, you know that there are many things in your life that kind of get resolved when you become a Christian. You know, uh, maybe you have sins that you are struggling with, relationships you're struggling with. You begin to figure some things out, and, and your life begins to settle. But in a lot of other ways, when you become a Christian, it's very unsettling. Your life actually, in some some ways, becomes easier. In some ways, it becomes way harder. You have things that you have to, you know, you can't walk away from relationships anymore. You have to stick them out and and figure them out and and try to to work through them. You know, you can't, uh, if you're depressed, you can't medicate your depression with... Getting drunk all the time, or something like—you can't do that. So all of a sudden, you have got to struggle with all these things. Or you might become a Christian, and and all of a sudden, people that you know, family, might ostracize you. And say, "What you believe that Jesus' blood has to do with your sin, and He's going to come back. He's in heaven, and you believe all that, and uh, so you get ostracized." There's a, a a number of things that make the Christian makes a Christian life hard, and it makes a Christian life, being a Christian, make us feel like aliens in the world, aliens around people. So on the one hand, we feel like we love the world. On the other hand, we feel like we don't always necessarily fit. People don't always get us. It's kind of like this kid coming into families. And so these are, you know, these are all the things that these people, that Peter is, as a pastor, he's a pastor, he's writing to churches. These are the things that they're struggling with. And so uh, what he says to them is the hope that he gives them is basically the same hope Dennis sitting up on the water tower. It's the same hope uh, that Peter is going to give to these Christians, but he's going to basically magnify it a thousand times because he's, he's not just going to say, that, you know, John Cusack's going to be never, never going to leave you, but God will never, 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 never leave you. And that's what they need to hear uh, if they're going to actually face the trials, the difficulties, the struggles that uh, we're going to face as Christians in, the, in this life. So uh, the letter first Peter is basically a deeply realistic and robust um, pastoral counsel of how do you how do you struggle? How do you have a difficult Christian life? How, and how do you live in that? How do you live through the difficulties of, of the Christian life? And, um, and basically, in these opening two verses, Peter answers the, answers the two big questions of the book. The two big questions is, why is the Christian life hard? And how can we endure it? And so we're going to kind of semi-answer those two questions as we look at this text. So first, why is a Christian life hard? Why is it hard? Well, first of all, a Christian life is hard because life is hard. Christians are humans and people. So, you know, becoming a Christian, you're going to have to deal with all the same trials that any normal human is going to have to. Christians still get cancer. Uh, Christians still get divorced. Christians still lose their jobs. Whatever it is, those trials, we still got to wrestle with. But there's an added sense that uh, that because of the hope that we have as Christians, it adds an added tension, an added difficulty uh, to living in this world, to living through this life. Let me let me explain that by just kind of telling you briefly what Christians believe. Okay, Christians believe that God made the world. He made Mount Baker and he made you know uh, Bellingham Bay and trees and, and snails and all that, and it was good. He actually made the whole universe, and so he was very good. And so the world is actually a place not to be miserable in. The world is a place to delight in, to have pleasure and to enjoy. And yet, uh, humans have alienated themselves from God. They don't know God anymore, and so the world has become, uh, has innumerable miserable things happening in, in the world. And so, uh, what God says, because God loves the world... God has decided that he's going to make the whole world, the world, the good world that he has made, he's going to make it right again. There's N.T. Wright says he's going to put things to rights again. He's going to resolve the world. He's going to end, uh, end poverty, end suffering, end war, end broken relationships. He's going to end all of that. And so the way uh, the Christian sees kind of world history is that basically the world history is broken up into two periods. There's what's called this present age, which is the world that we're living in where... Uh, Broken relationships, losing jobs, uh, cancer in every difficulty, financial trouble, whatever it is. There's this present age, and then there's the age to come. But Jesus is going to come back, and He will make the world right again. That's what Christians believe. That's our fundamental hope, that God will make the world right again. And uh, He will end suffering. He will end war. We are deeply optimistic about what God is going to do in this world. And so, uh, what's, um, and that, that age to come is sometimes called the new creation. It's a new creation. This is a creation. It's a, a renewed creation, a restored creation. And one of the things that's just fascinating about the Bible is that it actually says that these two ages, the present age and the age to come, have actually overlapped. So, if you become a Christian, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, what do you say? If you become a Christian, you're a what? A new creation. A new creation. Or actually, it's not. Actually, literally, it's it's you are new creation. You are a chunk of the age to come, that world where God has made everything right. God has stuck a chunk of that beautiful world and put it now in this present age, and that's you. And you might not feel that that's what you are, but that's what God says you are. If you're a Christian, you're a part of the of the the restored world in the world now. So what that means, that's why I say, as a Christian, uh, our hope makes life here difficult. Because we're living in a tension of a world that's restored. Our hearts are full of the hope of being with God, people really loving one another, having trusting, transparent relationships where we really get along and people know who we are and we're enjoying God's world. We have this, this whole vision of the world filled inside of us and yet we're living in a world that's broken. And so there's this tension. And so there's many ways that we feel this tension. Let me just kind of give you some examples. Uh, first of all, just in your spiritual life. you know, If you become a Christian... If, you, if you're really a Christian, you want to love God. You want to pray to Him. You want to talk to Him and cast all your burdens on Him. You want to obey Him and do everything, everything that He wants. And yet your body doesn't do it. You know, you go down to pray and you can't talk to Him. And your mind's on other things. And it's, why isn't my body doing it? I want to do it. My heart wants to do it, but my body doesn't do it. Or, um, you know, I want to have, I want to have deep relationships. I want, to, I want to even come to this church. Some of you say, I'm expecting coming to church, coming to be a Christian. I'm going to have these deep, meaningful relationships. And sometimes they're not happening. And so there's this tension where inside of us, we have a new love for the, a restored world, and yet we're living in a world that doesn't work that way. And so, but then, there's the times when we do obey. You know, we do obey God. We do what, what He wants. And oftentimes, that's painful too. You know, I'll, I'll give you, you think about lying. Lying is a very comforting thing, right? You know, you get to save face. People don't see how bad you are. Um, you get to, you get to cover over difficulties that you have to struggle with. I, I've shared with some of you that when I was a teenager, I got sent away to a, a, a behavioral modification program where, for troubled teens, for the boys that were troubled got sent away to an island called Western Samoa. And... Uh, when I was, I, I won't go into all the details about it, but when I was on a level three family leader, which meant I'd been moving up in this program, I'd been there about six or seven months, um, but I was kind of becoming a leader in the program, I, I slept in this hut with uh, about a dozen other boys, we slept on the floor with the sleeping bag, and every night after lights out, shutdown, we would have boxing matches, in, uh, in and so we'd have a couple people who were in the lookouts to make sure no chaperones were coming, and, um, and so we'd get up, and we'd respond with one another, and so one night, there was this guy that was sparring with, was a little shorter than I was, and I went to him, we didn't hit each other in the face, it was more just in the body, and uh, he, but he did one of these, right, when I was going to hit him right here, and bam, you know, I mean busted his face I mean just his lip just went blood going everywhere and we're like oh no we are in trouble okay so definitely needed stitches and we're up after shutdown you know fighting with one another so we make up this huge story that he tripped over me and busted his face on the windowsill, you know, we put his lip on the windowsill, so we told the shopper, we're like, look, the blood's on the windowsill, so now everyone's like, oh, phew, but, you know, I was a Christian, <laughs> I was like, this is a problem, um, <laughs> we have constructed a huge lie, so actually, I got to level four, I was moving along, and then finally, I had to confess, listen, he didn't bust his face on the windowsill. He busted his face on my knuckle. Um, and, uh, and so, you know what happened? I got dropped from level four. It took me about, I don't know, uh, maybe eight months to get from level two to level four. And I, I got dropped back to level two. And fortunately, it wasn't for eight months. But that's a, tr- you know, the lie covers up all the difficulty of having to get dropped and all the, all the discomfort and more time in Western Samoa. And so, uh, telling the truth you know, obeying God is going to be painful. And that's going to happen um, in all kinds of ways. And one of the ways it's going to be painful is that you're going to, um, you know, people are, people are going to say, oh, you're such, you're such a crude. Why don't you, you know, why are you always obeying the rules? You know, and that could be true. We could be self-righteous and obey the rules. But even even if we're just the most humble people, just we love God and we want to do what he says, you're going to have people say, "Why? you know, why, what's up with all the rules? Why are you such a crude? Why are you so self-righteous even if you're not self-righteous? And so being a Christian, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to be ostracized. The, the Bible actually says that if you are a Christian, you will at some point in your life be ostracized because of it. It, it, it will cause you uh, problems in relationships, and people will think you are foolish. And so what you can see is that the Christian life is hard, that we're living in the middle between the age that's going to come and in the present age, and we're living in the tension of that, piled on with all the other financial problems, job problems, family problems, relational problems, uh, physical problems, all of those things are piled on. How do we face that? And uh, so, you know, we live in a world that, you know, it's a wonderful world, that we think God is a good world, we love it, God's beautiful, He's done a good job, and yet, it's it's painful. And there's kind of, I printed uh, on page three of your bulletin, a, a famous passage from the book of Hebrews that kind of describes this tension, this is talking about Abraham and some of the old saints from the Old Testament. Um, it says this: these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar off, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. See, they're aliens. They they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This heavenly country, this city, is the new creation. That's what he's describing. And the whole book of uh, First Peter, how do you live in that tension? How do you live in the middle of that? My life is kind of wrapped up in, in I believe that God is going to make the world right again, and yet the world's not right yet. And so, uh, the answer that, I want to kind of answer that question, how do we live in that? Um, and so, first we have to prepare ourselves that the Christian life is hard. We cannot have the expectation that the Christian life is going to be easy, Christian life is going to be hard, because it's both all the hardships of regular life piled on with living in this, this tension. Um, and yet, as Christians, we've decided that Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth the hardship. God is worth the hardship. The hope that is in Jesus is worth the hardship. And so uh, we need to ask the second question, how can we endure the hardship? And that that leads to our second point. Now, in the beginning of the sermon, I talked to you about the Martian child, Dennis, and that what he needed was someone to say to him, I'll never leave you. (laughs) That what you need is me. And that's actually what God says to us. How how are you going to get through whatever painful thing you're facing. How are you going to get through this? God says what you need is me. But one of the things that's interesting about this passage is that it doesn't say that God is just one. But this passage says that God is a community. And that the way that God says, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to never, never leave you, is that He is a community. God Himself is a community that surrounds us. He's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's three. There's three of them. And so, um, you know, some of you might wonder where Does the Bible ever say that God is the Trinity? You know, the Bible doesn't use the word Trinity, that that God is one, but three persons and one God, you know, equal in power and glory. Uh, Does it say that anywhere? Well, it doesn't say the Trinity anywhere, but the the New Testament is loaded with passages like this, where Father, Son, Spirit are all kind of loaded together. And you can see that in... uh, in verse 2 here well we'll read the whole thing Jesus an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood there they are they're all there and so what it's saying what Peter is saying is that we are being surrounded by God from every angle and, uh, you know, Henry Nowen was a, uh, a Catholic priest who lived in the 20th century, and he wrote like 40 books. He's just a wonderfully godly man. And uh, one of his books called Compassion, he has a chapter on community. I just want to read you a little excerpt there, uh, what he says about community. We're able to do many hard things, tolerate many conflicts, overcome many obstacles, and persevere under many pressures, but when we no longer experience ourselves as part of a caring, supporting, praying community, we quickly lose faith. This is because faith in God's compassionate presence can never be separated from experiencing God's presence in the community to which we belong. So Henry announces, "Community is how we endure." One of the things that this passage says is that our spiritual life is, is there's a, a divine community that God puts us in the middle of and surrounds us with. And so I want to kind of look at each, each of these people, the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus Christ, the three, three people, persons of the Trinity, and think about how do they uh, shape how we face struggles and difficulties in this life. So first, uh, Peter says that Christians, in verse 1 and 2, are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, one of the things that, uh, if you were here this morning, practicing music with us, you'd find out that that life is. Uh, this is something I'm learning as a pastor: is that whenever you're leading people, it's always helped to plan ahead and uh, to kind of know how things are going. I'm I'm learning that I'm not the best at, uh, but but when you plan ahead, it makes life less frantic. People, it's not all crazy and unpredictable, but people can actually life is more enjoyable. Whatever, however, people are serving, it's more they can talk to one another and enjoy themselves when things are planned ahead. And so, uh, one of the things, kind of biggest difficulties of trials, like if you're, you know, losing a job or uh, your a a relationship is breaking apart or you have some physical ailment happening, is that things feel out of control. there's nothing predictable. There's nothing planned. And yet, um, according to Peter here, our whole Christian life is, is, is be, has been orchestrated, carefully put together by the foreknowledge of God. It has been orchestrated and planned. There is nothing that is happening in our Christian life that is running wild and out of control. Nothing. God has planned everything. So you say, well... Is God let sin? And, and does God make sinful things and evil things happen? No. But what the Bible says is that God will take all of those things, painful things that are happening, and that he will somehow use them for his glory and for our good. Period. That is what God does. He foreknew. So God does not let anything happen to us. God is not letting anything happen to you that he is not carefully orchestrating for your good and for his glory. There's nothing. And in fact, the word that's used here, uh, Peter says, um, according to the foreknowledge of God, that you are left exiles, you are, you are chosen aliens, according to God's foreknowledge. Now, in the Bible, foreknowledge does not mean a long time ago, God knew some information beforehand. So, you know, that's how we think of knowledge, is He knew some data beforehand. Knowledge in the Bible is always relational. So that if you... Uh, so if, I, so if God knows you, it doesn't just mean he knows information about you. It means that he loves you. That he's, uh, you know, Adam knew Eve, it says. And that was not, oh, he knew some data about him. They went into the tent together, right? They knew each other. And so uh, it's relational. It's love. And so when, when, uh, when Peter says that, that we are elect exiles, that every struggle that we are facing is according to the foreknowledge of God. It's according to the forelove of God. <coughs> The, for, the beforehand love that uh, God knew us you know um, when uh, you know the parents when I I'm disciplining my children or uh, you know giving them a little mini Lucy um, uh, giving them a, a you know mini lecture or something about you know how do you treat people and stuff like that and you know sometimes they're kind of like okay okay let's uh, let's get on the plane and stuff like that but sometimes I'll say to them you know do you know That before God made the world, before before God made the mountains and the trees and all those birds you hear outside and even the sky, God knew you. God chose you. God knew knew will. He knew your name and He chose you to make you into a light to the world. That's who you are. God loved you before He even made the world. He knew all about your life. And what happens then? Their eyes get wide. For the world... And that's what this is saying. If we're Christian, God has has orchestrated every step of our Christian life from before the the beginning of the world. That's how devoted, that's how the Father is surrounding us. And so, um, if we're going to be able to face trials, you're going to face tragedies. You're going to face... If it's not in your life, in your family, it's going to be someone in this church, it's going to be someone close to you, they will happen. The Bible says they will happen. And so one of the things is that we have to resolve now that this is, this is the truth. It's much harder to decide when you're in the middle of it, oh, God's working everything for good, everything for His glory. You've got to decide now you got to realize, you've got to learn God's word now before before the before the trial and say, God is going to work all things for good. Because they will come. And, uh, in fact, uh, later in First Peter, this is what Peter says, beloved, what, this is how it starts, this, beloved, people I love, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Do not be surprised. The fiery trial will come, and you shouldn't be surprised. You should know that it's going to come. And so, what does that mean? Does that mean that when uh, struggles come, we should be happy-go-lucky? Oh, God's working, everything's good, so... It's not that bad after all. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean it's not that bad after all. It, it's, it's, it, it is a hardship, but the hardship is bound. God has uh, hedged it. He has surrounded it. He's put himself around it. The Father has put himself around it. Now, one of the ways that he does that, that he takes trials and uses them for their good, is that he uses them to form us, to shape who we are. And uh, that's kind of, uh, you know, the hardship. Anyone who's been through hardships, they're far more compassionate, far more kind, far more gentle with people. And God actually uses. Uh, our hardships to make us like Him. And that's actually what the second one says. So it says uh, that we're elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. And that's what that word sanctification is. Sanctification is a process by which God makes us like Him. He makes His beautiful character, His love, His, his passion, his, uh, um, his kindness and joy. God works that in us. The Spirit is doing that in us. And so uh, God is making us like Him through our trials. That's a that's a promise. And so you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend a lot of time unpacking that on the spirit. But let me just say this one thing: is that what that means is that there is a power working in you that whatever tragedy, whatever disappointment is happening, you know, whatever job that does not work out, whatever you're dating someone that you thought this was going to work out and it didn't work out, you say, what this seemed like a waste of time. I'm wasted. This is a waste of my life. I'm, I'm wasting my career. I'm wasting it. This says none of it is a waste. There is a power working in you that is going to use all of that. So that's how God surrounded you. Now, uh, lastly, let me just say this. Um, the uh, You can say, okay, I understand. I understand God's going to work difficulties and trials in my life. He's going to work them for good. Okay. What about when the broken relationships aren't just happening, but they happen because of me? What if I'm losing the job because it's not just bad circumstances, but it's because of my sin? What if uh, if I broke the relationship? What if um, I was treated, you know, I destroyed my liver from, you know, drunkenness, whatever it is. Does that that ruin it? Is that outside of God's um, surrounding me? the community of God surrounding me and walking through me with any trial? Is that—is that too much? Is that too much? What about my own sin? And what's amazing about the gospel, is amazing, is that it's not just difficulties of trouble that, happen, that are going to come from the outside, but difficulties that we bring on ourselves. God is also surrounding those. And He's going to use them for, his, for our good and for His glory. Our own sin. And uh, the way... Um, and what Peter says here is that we are cho- we are these chosen exiles according to the foreknowledge of God and the sanctification of the Spirit, but also for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. Now, what he's talking about there is in the Old Testament, you had, uh, you know, the story of Moses uh, goes to the Pharaoh and says, let, you know, God says, let my people go, and He leads them out of Egypt, and there's all these signs and wonders, and they go through the Red Sea, and they're going out in the wilderness, and they come to Mount Sinai. And there's this uh, event where all Israel, God's people, are standing before this mountain, and they get the Ten Commandments, and, and there's this big ceremony where God is saying, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people. We're bi- I'm binding myself to you. And at the end, this might sound gruesome, but uh, they have all these sac- sacrifices, and Moses is like sprinkling blood all his people. And this is like a sign, a seal, that... You belong to God. You are bound to one another by blood. Now, you know, and on modern day, we might say this seems very primitive with blood, but ten-year-old boys get this, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> If you want to be, fr- if you want to be best friends, you cut yourself and you <laughs> become blood brothers, right? That's, we get that. Blood seals, ba- buys people together. But you know, we also get it in terms of our families, right? That uh, you know, if I, I. A man and a woman come together sexually for the first time, there's blood. There's a uh, there, God has put it in our bodies that blood is a sign of being united to one another. And that even your children, you know, why you know why do I look at my you know, you can have I'll be at a place where there's all these kids playing. I, I don't even notice the other kids. It's like they don't even exist, and I just look at my kids like, wow, oh, they're aren't they the best in the world? Why is that? Because my blood is in them. They're my flesh. They're my flesh and blood. They're bound to me by blood. And what Peter is saying is that the very blood of Jesus, that's what that's the image, uh, is has been sprinkled on us. We've been bound. We've become blood brothers with him. Blood brothers that we can't tear us apart. And, and and you know the blood obviously with Jesus is to cover our sins. So our our that we are the chosen aliens. Part of the fact that we're chosen aliens, that we're surrounded by the community, the divine community, part of that is that God has even covered our sins. He's taken care of them. Let me give you one more uh, scripture from from 1 Peter. Um, Where is it? Um, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That's him surrounding even your sins. Uh, Putting a hedge around them. Saying they can't, they can't destroy anything. Your sins don't even get the final word. Hardships don't get the final word. Your sins don't get the final word. For you were straying like sheep, but now, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So, how uh, how do you face difficulties in life? What difficulty? Name it. God has surrounded. You? God has put himself around it. He says, What you need is me who will never, 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 never leave you. And it's not even just one, it's three. Surrounding you from all sides, everything that's happening, orchestrating everything. There's nothing that's unplanned. And the reason God's done that is so that you will be able to face the fiery trial that Peter's talking about. And we're gonna unpack that more as we look at this book. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven. We are amazed that anything that we face, you are prepared for. Father, Spirit, Jesus Christ, all around us and leading us uh, into the age to come. Lord, we ask that you would help us to trust you, to rest in you. And we thank you for your abundant goodness, that you are, uh, you love us beyond what we could ever imagine or think what we could have ever dreamed of you love us more. And so we give you thanks and we offer, uh, give you these offerings now in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.